Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in the world game. And with our usual panellist, Derek Dyson, on a pilgrimage to the homeland, where he'll be sending us some special reports over the coming weeks, and Willem van Dendering doing what premiership winners do on a footy trip, we've drafted in one of our favourite show regulars this week for the whole show, our great mate from ESPN, Joey Lynch, which we're sure you'll enjoy. So first edition news shortly, and while we plan to drop a special A-League women's stoppage time episode in a couple of days with that competition less than two weeks away. It's a huge weekend in domestic football with the Australia Cup final this Saturday night taking centre stage. Last week we talked to Brisbane gaffer Ross Deloisi after he led the Raw to their first ever final in the competition. This week one of his old sparring partners Steve Corica about to lead Sydney FC into their fourth appearance in the final. Then at the end of last international season we were among the many around the world who were saddened to hear that the voice of football for generations of fans and this show of course the wonderful Martin Tyler had put down his Sky News mic for the last time to end an era where his mellifluous voice was synonymous with the game. The good news is that Martin is as astute an observer as he ever was and we've been meaning to have him back on the show for a while so you're in for a treat as Martin joins us to look at the English Premier League with so many stories from what was a weekend where the script was flipped. Wolves in what would rank as one of the biggest upsets in years, knocking off the champions, Manchester City and Ange Postacoglu, riding his luck to get Spurs home against a nine-man Liverpool, not to mention Luton rocketing out of the relegation zone after breaking the Toffees' hearts at Goodison Park, while Bournemouth were given a lesson by Arsenal. Really looking forward to that chart with Martin soon. So Edge, a special show this week with a a good mate of ours uh, on the other mic. Absolutely, Rob. Welcome to you and the listeners and to ESPN's Joey Lynch. Um, Joey, I just hope you continue the culture and tradition of this podcast and take every opportunity to stick it to Rob through the course of the show. I'm sure you will, especially because he's a Liverpool fan and a Collingwood fan. He's just uh, he's had the roller coaster on the weekend, haven't you, Rob? Yeah, I have. Well, uh, um, you know, we do tend to name check different sports on this show from time to time, Joey. So I do declare that I am wearing a Collingwood shirt and I'm proud. But uh, uh, I've got to be honest and say that uh, I had not taken the precaution of turning my alerts off. And I didn't tell him that he did this. But as Derek was sitting at the airport ready to fly out, uh, he sent me a message saying, you can't have it all this weekend before I'd watch the game. So, Joey, I don't know. Sometimes when your team ends up losing the way that Liverpool did, you probably prefer to know the results. So he probably did me a favour. Ah, well, to be honest, mate, uh, as a League Two fan, Carlisle United fan, Minnesota Timberwolves fan, just Oakland, well, Las Vegas Raiders fan, I hate any team that features success and any fan base that experiences anything resembling happiness. A pox on every big team's fan base, a pox on every successful team's house. As far as I've, football, sport is about misery and I revel in it. So, bar humbug. Well, just to continue the magpie theme, Rob, I'm actually Mm. looking forward to something this week. I've been looking forward to this fixture. I put it in my diary when the the UEFA Champions League fixtures come out because on Wednesday UK time, Newcastle United host Paris Saint-Germain in the oil tycoon uh, derby. Obviously, the Saudi Arabian uh, Sovereign Wealth Fund back 
backing Newcastle United and the Qatar Investment Authority backing PSG. So um, I'm just really enthralled to see what's going to happen at this game because it, it will be sheep stations. Obviously, I spent a lot of time in Not the Middle East and know how much dislike there is between those two countries, Saudi Arabia and Qatar. Just the, the new modern landscape of football takes a, a new twist this Wednesday in the European Champions League, Rob. Okay, well, we'll, uh, we'll cover that next week, Edge. Um, they've got uh, PSG while they're vulnerable, and we'll talk about that uh, in a moment. So on to the news. Sydney's Allianz Stadium, as we mentioned off the top, will host the Australia Cup final this Saturday evening. What will be a blockbuster final between the Sky Blues and the Raw, with the Brisbane side out to defend the sporting honour of their city after their respective AFL and NRL clubs were beaten in the grand finals over the weekend. It will be the visitors' first trip to the final and Sydney's fourth cup final for one win beaten in 2016 by Melbourne City. They won in 2017 against Adelaide, but the Reds got their revenge the following year in a classic. So, Joey, a lot of expectation on this one. Looking forward to talking to Steve Corica uh, shortly. Uh, it's it's a nearly new stadium. No other top-shelf sport to steal the limelight. Kick-off at 7.30pm. And looking at the prices, it seems that Football Australia have learnt from FIFA during the recent World Cup that if you price the tickets right, the fans will come. Is that expecting too much ahead of ahead of this event? Well, it's going to be really interesting. As you said, there's no direct competition in with sports, but, you know, as someone that works freelancers and pitches stories, I can tell you that it's just, it's still... Um, just because it's the off-season for the AFL and the NRL now doesn't mean there won't still be plenty of coverage. Where I know down here in Victoria, we're now moving into trade period, which uh, will dominate uh, the discourse again. It's one of the AFL's great strengths that they're able to manufacture news coverage every week of the year. But I would hope at least for, not expecting a sellout by any means, but one would hope at least for a healthy crowd in the sense that it's a magnificent stadium, Sydney FC, uh, one of the largest fan bases in the league. They're up and about. They've been given um, this final by virtue of Brisbane not having a suitable stadium for it. So one would hope that they make hay while the sun shines, take advantage of that and try to generate some excitement surrounding their team. And I don't know, who knows, maybe get some practice in before they host Melbourne victory in round one of the A-League men's season. Exactly, hopefully. So now it's less than two weeks away from the A-League women's kicking off with a triple header over the weekend of October 14-15. And with what the APL describes as a standalone celebration of women's football, as I mentioned off the top, we're going to do a preview show a little later in the week, but highlights include Courtney Vinyl play in the Sydney Derby at Allianz Stadium, Kai Simons back in Australia with the Central Coast Mariners returning to the top flight against Newcastle with an F3 Derby. Edge, um, we're, we're about 10 days and counting down, and we're going to do a full analysis of the women's competition. Uh, just big, big expectations on the women's uh, competition uh, after the World Cup. Yeah, there's been some huge names move clubs this year, huge names leave the competition, and some huge names coming into the competition. So, obviously, there's huge expectation with the legacy of the Women's World Cup in the rearview mirror. Um, I think this A-League women's season will be the best uh, that we've had to date, uh, I think crowds will increase, broadcast viewers will increase, and we'll see some very exciting football. And we've obviously got a new team into the competition, Central Coast Mariners, to help square up the draw. And for the first time, a full home and away fixture, which everybody who's been associated with A-League women's football um, or football at the national level for women has been crying out for. So there's so much to look forward to. And uh, I'm looking forward to talking with Joey and yourself about all of that and more uh, in stoppage time later in the week.
Okay, now in other domestic news, the former Labor Senator Stephen Conroy has been confirmed as the new chairman of the Australian Professional Leagues. Conroy replaces the Western Sydney Wanderers owner Paul Lederer in becoming the first independent chairman of the APL, which runs the men's and women's A-League competitions. Now, um, not a, a major story in sport in general, but in our game, this appears to be a big story and uh, we, we want to get Stephen Conroy on soon once he's got his feet under the desk edge. But uh, does this signify uh, a, a, a significant change in football in this country, a power broker, late, former Labor senator, Labor government at the national level? Well, he's a very significant person. He actually had a tilt at the Football Australia board at the last election round and just missed out and was extremely disappointed that he missed out. He was being touted by the cohort of A-League clubs as a future Football Australia chairperson. He, he misses that opportunity now, but he's in the, the, the chair, independent chair seat in the APL. I think it's a big development. Uh, we actually invited him onto the, the show. They asked us for some questions, and I think some of our questions, Joey, that I put forward might have been a bit too tricky because he said, uh, sorry, no, I'm a bit new to this, so I need to get my feet under the, under the chair and I'll come back to you. But I think it's a good development. I want to hear more from Steve, Joey. I want to hear articulated vision. I want to hear... Uh, questions answered regularly. Um, we want transparency. You know, the APL ownership stuff is a bit of a closed book. We want to know them better. We want to know their motivations. Are we going to get information from the new independent chair? Is he going to uh, get out the Bible, sell the gospel, and tell everybody who wants to listen how good this thing is? I think it is critically important that there is a greater level of transparency, which goes towards probably one of, well, it's not just his task alone, but it's the process that the Australian Professional Leagues, the APL needs to go about in winning back trust from fans. It feels like we've been talking about the APL needing to win back trust from fans for various things now for the past year and a half, but it was well overdue, the appointment of an independent chair. It's been one of the things that has been talked about for quite a while. It was one of the things that um, uh, A-League's fans, it was one of the concessions that they were able to, I won't say extract because it was always the plan, but it was one of the um, things that they were demanding during the boycotts and the like that swept the league last season post the grand final announcement. I know somebody like Stephen Conroy, obviously, uh, he's got those political connections. He's spent a lot of time in the halls of power. You know, he obviously is a football fan. He's got ties in football from memory at around the uh, the time of that Football Australia elections when the entire board was spilled and basically every position was up for grabs. I think he was being pushed by a number of A-League clubs at that uh, election as well. I think Melbourne City were one of the teams that were supporting his candidacy. So he's obviously got long so, yeah, a history of connections with the A-Leagues. Um, obviously, I didn't agree with every position he had as a senator when he was in public, but as somebody with board experience myself, as experience as a chair of a not-for-profit myself, he doesn't really need to be involved in the day-to-day -day operations. He doesn't need to be setting... He doesn't need to be getting in the way of the CEO. He just needs to be providing strong governance, clarity, and being a figure that can help steer the ship in a manner that A-League's fans trust, I reckon. Yeah, and hopefully asking the right questions when some of the bigger decisions come up um, and we don't see a repeat of some of the, the chaotic decisions that occurred uh, um, Re, uh, yeah, grand finals uh, being sold, etc. Okay, uh, we're going to talk about the Premier League in detail with Martin Tyler shortly, including uh, Ange Postacoglu. He just he, he's been 
absolutely touched with uh, with fairy dust, hasn't he? It's just all going his way. He beats his childhood team. I did love the story. I'm not sure whether you guys were across it, but he, he made a, a little passing remark um, that uh, he had grown up a Liverpool supporter and he had the posters uh, on his bedroom wall, but he, uh, he used to love Happy Days and he doesn't have pictures of the Fonz anymore. And then suddenly... Uh, uh, Henry Winkler posts on X uh, a a response to Ange saying, "But but but Ange, if I signed a poster, would you put it back on the wall?" So you know this crazy chaotic story of Ange Postecoglou just keeps getting wilder with the Fonz getting involved. It's hilarious. So we'll talk to Martin about all that a little bit later on. Other news, just the the the, uh, the top line points of the different leagues. Jude Bellingham has got Real Madrid uh, to the top of the La Liga after uh, they beat. Uh, Girona, who've had a great start to the season. Jose Mourinho says he's not the problem at Roma, despite the fact that uh, they're uh, having a, a shocking start to the season. Says he rejected uh, a huge offer, which we suspect would have been from Saudi Arabia. Their only league win this season came with a 7-0 result against Empoli. PSG in League One have made their worst start to the season uh, under their Qatari owners. They're sitting fifth behind Monaco, Brest, Rim and Nice. Um, so, yeah, not all going well for PSG right now. Now, Matildas and Socceroos Central for the Green and Gold Army. We're going to talk about the, the Socceroos uh, uh, trip to London shortly, Edge. But uh, is there still time for people to get to ggatravel.com.au to get over on that trip? Yes, we've got a couple of spots left. So if you um, want to come along and see all the, the action that we've got planned in London, please get onto the website and send us a note and we'll, uh, we'll look after you for sure. Excellent. Okay. Well, uh, we'll start with the women first. After a four-month hiatus, the Women's Super League returned on Sunday. Now, the highlight, a 54,000 crowd at the Emirates, but they left disappointed. It was the biggest in the history of the competition. Liverpool upset Arsenal 1-0. Kirova Miri Tyler, second-half strike. The Gunners featured Steph Catley and Caitlin Ford, plus Kyra Cooney Cross on debut as a late sub. It was a packed opening day. All the teams played on Sunday, just the one Premier League match uh, played on the day. That was the Brentford Spurs match to, to clear the way. Uh, Sam Kerr missed Chelsea's season opening 2-1 win over Spurs, still carrying the niggle from that calf that she had during the World Cup, which we all know too well. Uh, while West Ham's West Ham's uh, Mackenzie Arnold saved a penalty in the 50th minute from Chloe Kelly's spot kick, but the Hammers still lost 2-0 to Manchester City, featuring both Alana Kennedy and Mary Fowler, who both played full games for the Citizens. Charlize Rule made her WSL debut for Brighton as a 75th-minute substitute, 2-1 away win to Claire Willis Everton, and Courtney Nevin put in a full shift and got an assist as Leicester City won 4-2 at Bristol City on Sunday. Now, in the other big leagues in France's feminine division, Ellie Carpenter played a full game at Olympic Lyon to beat title rivals PSG, who were missing Claire Hunt, 1-0 on the road. And in Spain's Primera Division Femenina, Hayley Rasso made her maiden start playing 61 minutes as uh, Real beat Tenerife 2-0. So good start for the uh, the, the women's top flight um, guys. Um, uh, Edge, I think uh, we've got to be happy with that. Just a little frustrated, no doubt, though, um, that... Uh, uh, that Sam isn't uh, back to full fitness after you know a reasonable break following the World Cup. Yeah, it's hard not to jump at shadows when you hear that she's missing a game as a result of that uh, calf issue. We all know uh, uh, when you're working elite sport, if you get calf injuries, they are sometimes very difficult to get over. So we'll be watching that with great interest. A question for Joey. One of the transfers out of the A-League women this year was Mackenzie Hawksby, who was a huge pivotal main player for Sydney FC. She's gone to Brighton and Hove Albion. And, you know, working in 
working in the part of the game that I do in in assisting young women footballers find the best clubs for them to develop. Mackenzie didn't get on the team sheet, um, was fit to play, didn't get any time, obviously. What happens to a player like that, in your opinion, Joey, who goes from A-League women's where she's a superstar and a pivotal you know, key player to a club where she might not get a lot of time? Um, in my view, sometimes those players can go backwards. Are you a bit worried about some of these names that have transferred overseas, whether they will just sit on the pine for the season? That inevitably has to be the um, worry with any players we've seen. If you're not playing football, if you're not playing minutes, you can stagnate. You know, an elite training environment, a lot gets made of the quality of the training environments over in Europe, but it's no real replacement for um, actually playing football. I mean, it doesn't have to be the end of the world. I can point to somebody like... Alex Chidiak that has had very rotten luck with her stints abroad and still been able to develop and become an incredible player that, you know, probably should have seen more minutes at the Women's World Cup and the like, but that involves a lot of, you know, being willing to humble yourself, try different things and really put in the effort behind the scenes when nobody's looking. So, I mean, it is round one, so I don't want to give too big of a hot take on um, any player's prognosis, but it has to be the worry with any player that sits on the bench and you have to make sure that, you know, they have to be willing to recognise if the environment they're in, if that's for the best for their development in the long term when they've had long enough to examine that. Watch that space, Joey. Um, for the men, Roland McGree continued his excellent form with a double in Middlesbrough's 3-2 win over Watford in the Championship. Tom Glover and Sam Silvera were unused subs for Borough, who've won their past two games to rise off the bottom of the table. Elsewhere in the Championship, Cameron Burgess and Maslawonga both played full games as Ipswich Town went temporarily to the top of the table with a one-all draw against Huddersfield. And look, look, lots of news. Uh, you can catch up with it all on the, on the GGA website uh, for the latest on the Socceroos. Um, but the, the good news for Harry Sutar was that he was back in the Leicester City match day squad. Unused sub, albeit, but he did have a full match in the League Cup loss uh, to Liverpool midweek. It was a 4-1 result, but uh, it means, you know, maybe following our recent chat with Rob Tanner, that he's uh, he's start, slowly starting to, to get some favour back uh, uh, with the gaffer at uh, at the Foxes. He's determined to stay there, so hopefully a result for, for Harry soon. All right, we'll wrap it up there. We're going to chat to Steve Corica after the break at the Australia Cup finals on this coming weekend. Sydney FC are playing the Brisbane Roar. It's going to be a blockbuster match, hopefully a huge crowd at the Allianz Stadium. Really keen to find out what Steve stick around. He's next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. And this weekend, one of the highlights of the domestic football season, the Australia Cup, is on. And last week we talked to the Ross Aloisi, the, the new manager at the Brisbane Roar, he's, uh, he's doing incredibly well since he's arrived there. But the man who's, uh, who's done it all with Sydney FC, both uh, in the, the, uh, the cup finals as a, uh, as a, a premiership and, and championship coach himself is our next guest, Steve Corica. And he's preparing to break Queenslanders' hearts after they lost the AFL and NRL grand finals <laughs> on the weekend just gone. Steve, uh, do you think you can make it the hat-trick, mate? Well, we're going to try. Obviously, very excited. Looking forward to it as well. Uh, so early in the season and uh, being a, uh, an opportunity to, to win a trophy, we're, we're definitely going to give it a good crack at our, our home ground as well. So 
you know, we wanted supporters to turn up. And, uh, yeah, obviously they've had a, a bad week, uh, Queensland supporters. But, uh, yeah, it, it'd be nice to, to win a trophy so early on in the season. Well, I was going to say, Rob, you're asking uh, Bimby if he's going to break Queensland hearts. Of course, far north Queenslander himself, Steve Corica, Broncos fan, aren't you, mate? I am, actually. So a little bit disappointed in the result last night, obviously, with the rugby league. But, uh, yeah, obviously, we're facing a Brisbane team on, on Saturday. And a good friend of mine, Ross Aloisi, as well, is doing a great job with them. And, uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it as well. So early on in the season, we'll be playing in, in the final and... and you know, a trophy up for grabs. Because, Steve, it has been a very positive start to year two for you. Obviously, last off-season, a lot was made about how you were changing your approach a little bit. You were mixing things up, bringing some new faces in. Now, going through your second full off-season with that new approach, with that new mindset, do you think you're going to be even better for it now? A year's worth of experience under your belt, a bit more continuity? Um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, change takes time and, uh, you know, we've brought in a lot of, a lot of younger players from the academy this season. Uh, we've brought in a couple of Brazilian boys as well, which, you know, they, they obviously will take a little bit of time to, to get going as well because they've only been out here a couple of weeks. But, um, you know, what I've seen so far and, you know, we can only just go about from what we've done, you know, we, we beat Central Coast, uh, grand final winners. We beat Melbourne City last week in the semi final. So, you know, two of the top teams last year. So, um, yeah, we're, we're going really well at the moment. Um, it's early on, obviously, but uh, I'd rather be in this position, being in a final and, and trying to win a trophy early on in the season uh, than, you know, being out of the cup. So we've had some good, very good competitive games. Like I said, we've played against them two, especially them two teams, Western United as well. So we've played a lot of A-League teams also in the build-up uh, for the pre-season. So uh, we're going pretty well at the moment. Could you mention bringing in a few of the academy lads and some of these younger players? And I mean, getting Nathan Amanatides as well from Adelaide United. Yep. But that seems to be a bit of a theme around the league, even more so than years past. Uh, clubs looking to their academy and promoting senior players. We've seen, of course, Adelaide United have done it. Wellington Phoenix have talked about doing that. Yep. Um, even Melbourne Victory, traditionally a very veteran side, looking a bit younger as well. Your front, your stock of kids, how are they making the adjustment to senior football? And are they maybe looking at the likes of Patrick Wood and these kids that have already done that for an example about how they can make an impact this season? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, our, our academies are going quite a while now. Um, and a lot of these boys have actually been in it for, for probably from the start, really. So, and they're making their way. There's a nice pathway for them to come into, to the A-League side. We've obviously had a few of them in our squad last year. Their boys have really stepped it up this year. You know, Kachaski, Corey Holman, uh, Jake Gerwood Wright, they're, they're doing really well at the moment. They've stepped it up. They're, they're actually, making the older boys, um, you know, sweat a little bit with the competition for places. And then, you know, there's a few new ones also that have come in, which, you know, they take a little bit more time because they're, they're not used to the high intensity all the time from the NPL to, to the A-League. It takes a little bit of time to, to adapt, but uh, they're doing really well. Um, and then obviously Nathan coming in from Adelaide is also takes a little bit of time. Coming from different state, he's only a young boy, uh, still learning, you know, he's, He's just come from the MPL in, in Adelaide and uh, finding his feet as well, but uh, also going really well. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good time of, of year to actually state your claim for, you know, a starting spot. And, and a lot of them boys are doing it at the moment. 
Because looking, obviously it comes with a disclaimer, MacArthur last year winning the trophy, but then finishing with a wooden spoon. But you're making the finals of the Australia Cup and looking at this roster, it looks like a squad that's very capable of certainly finishing in finals football and then pushing for top four and the like. How do you feel you're placed coming into this season against the rest of the league? Do you reckon you're one of the stronger squads? Oh, well, I think, you know, I hope so. Um, you know, I think we believe in the players that we've brought in. Um, obviously, we had to let a few players go as well to bring players in. Um, we're happy with the, the foreigners that we have. And, you know, you know, I think Joe Lolly has, has looked unbelievable so far in pre-season. And Robbie Mack also, also very dangerous. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're happy with the squad that we've got. Uh, like you said, you know, it's hard to say early on in the season. We haven't seen all the other teams as well. But it is the theme. I think a lot of the teams are bringing in younger boys and giving them opportunities to, to grow and to show what they can do. And, you know, give them opportunities. They, you know, you, can, you really do see the growth in them and, and the confidence that they, they do bring and the enthusiasm they do bring to the team. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, we're going to give it a good crack this year. Like we, you know, I think we finished really strongly last half of the season. You know, probably disappointed we didn't make the final last year. You know, we got the red card in the semi-final against City. Um, and, you know, I think we've we've strengthened since, since then. Bimby, um, the Sydney FC fans that I talk to regularly um, are really excited about the two Brazilians you've brought into the club. What can you tell us about them, Um Gomez looks like he's got a speed to burn, um, but yeah. how excited are you about the impact they will have? Yeah, well, you know, obviously Fabian, uh, Fabio Gomez is, is a striker, a big tall boy as well, so he's strong in the air, but he does have pace as well. Um, he's played in a couple of different countries as well, which is good. As, you know, it's not the first country that he's played in outside of outside of Brazil, so that's good experience for him. But, yeah, we're, we're also excited about both of them. Um Gabriel is a strong defender, you know, also a, a taller boy, which, you know, is probably something we've probably lacked a little bit in the last few years, a little bit of height, and I think both of them coming in has, has helped us. Um, obviously, you know, with attacking set pieces and defensively as well. So, um, But, yeah, we, we look forward to seeing them improve as well as the time comes on. Like I said, they've only been here probably two or three weeks now, so it, it does take time for them to settle in and... You know, the team's been going so well, um, you know, with the younger boys coming in and stepping in and doing well in the Cup. So when they get their opportunity, they have to obviously make the most of it as well. Like young Patrick Wood, I think, is scored in every Cup game at the moment. So it's hard to leave him out. But we'll, um, you know, we've got the two foreigners coming in and, um, you know, they're going to improve us as well, definitely. Uh, just tell the fans that are listening to the, the program just what it's like um, assessing international players the process and obviously when you need to make the decision to make to, to recruit them um, how much information do you rely upon and is it sometimes a bit of an art more than a science as well yeah well we obviously Alex Bomehan has come in this season and he's doing a, uh, he's doing a lot of the recruitment as well with um, we've got a we've got like a technical core group which uh, you know a panel that obviously uh, makes decisions on our, on our foreigners and we'll, you know, talk about it. And it's a long process. Um, this season, obviously, we've brought in a couple of Brazilian boys. So we've had Brazilians before, but, um, you know, these ones even are, are a little bit younger. Fabio is 26 and Gabriel's 24. So it's a similar uh, process. You know, we, we looked at our squad with a lot of younger boys under 20 um, and a lot of boys 
you know, that experience range over 30. So the age group that we wanted to bring in is that middle section. Um, so, you know, that's the, the age group we wanted to bring in. And, you know, these two fit in really well with, with what we're trying to do and the way we want to play. So, um, yeah, there's a long process that goes through. We took our time as well this season, like we did last year, to get the foreigners that we we really wanted. And, um, you know, I think Robbie Mack last year was was very good and, and Joe Lolly is obviously a very talented player as well and you know I think these two Brazilian boys will, will bring more to the team as well with these with uh, Joe and Robbie as well. Jack Rodwell you know didn't didn't mention him but you know he's a quality player as well and great experience. Well you've got your, your squad's uh, chock full of talent uh, including local young talent which Joey and you have referred to but uh, the record attendance for the Australia Cup is 18,000 751 people and it was a game that Sydney FC participated in down in Melbourne uh, against Melbourne yeah. City. Uh, can you beat that on the weekend? Can the Sydney FC fans come out in force and uh, and take the record? Oh, I hope so. Um, you know, it's, it's looking like a, a good weekend. Um, you know, we've had um, you know some terrific games already at home and um, so, you know, we want to turn up and, and get right behind us. It's a great opportunity for us, obviously, playing in our in a home stadium, and and for the obviously the Sydney FC fans to come out and support support the boys, and you know it really does help. You know, the more people there for us, the better it is for the players. It's a great atmosphere in Allianz Stadium when it, when there's a good crowd, and you know, I think we'll give it a good crack. Steve, current uh, trophies are the currency with which we buy time in this industry that is football, and obviously last you're in you're in the process of competing for one this weekend. You're looking in a strong position. Obviously, coming into last season, there was a lot of pressure on you. There was a lot of talk about your future, and throughout the season, uh, the Sydney FC fan base were fierce debates about your future. But then you've come through. You finished strong at the end of the season. You knocked out Western Sydney Wanderers in the finals, you pushed Melbourne City all the way. Now you're competing for the cup final. Do you feel coming into this season, you're feeling more secure and more comfortable in your position than you were last campaign? Uh, like I said, I don't, I don't really worry too much about, you know, that kind of stuff. I have a job to do and I, I do it every day the best I can. Um, of course, we know how, how much Sydney FC fans want to win trophies. And, you know, I have done that in my time here as well. This is another opportunity gives them gives them an opportunity to come in and you know support the boys on the weekend and it's an opportunity for the team to win a trophy early on in the season. So um, yeah, you know I, I just you know work hard every day to to bring out the best in the players to play good football, exciting football, and you know hopefully you get the result. Sometimes you know you, you need a little bit of luck along the way as well, but um, yeah, I think you know. I just concentrate on this season, not what's in the past. Like we've changed a few things, brought in new players, and it's exciting at the moment. Everyone's doing well, and you know it's a big season. And you know, it's I'm coming into my last season as well, so you know, obviously, we we want to do well and win trophies for for everyone. And Steve, before we, we let you go, we had a bit of fun off the top about the the other codes, but we did see two. Full house, spectaculars, 100,000, 80,000 people. But that's coming off what was an incredibly successful Women's World Cup. So there, you know, there's clearly a big appetite in Australia for, for sport staged at the highest level. Uh, going into this season with the women having a standalone start this coming 
or the weekend after the A-League, the Australia Cup uh, final, uh, followed by the men. Um, are your expectations higher in, in the light of particularly the World Cup uh, that, that, that football is in an ascendant period in this country right now? I think the World Cup was uh, sensational, really, for the for the women, and you know the amount of support that they got right behind the the Matildas. Um, and you want to see the momentum come into the A League. You know the the A League is an exciting league to watch. You know people turn up and watch some of the young talents coming through. Obviously, the more experienced players as well. The quality that we have in the A League it, it's a very exciting league to to watch and. Um, you know, they, they need to get right behind that as well. And, you know, hopefully that momentum from the World Cup will, will come into the A-League. And obviously, you know, our, our supporters last year, obviously, we had a, a good average crowd, I think around 18,000, 20,000. I think it was around that figure. So that, that was good. Obviously, we want more and more. Obviously, the big derbies uh, are very special and everyone wants to come to the derbies. But you want them to turn up for, for other matches as well and get right behind their team. All teams, not just obviously Sydney FC, but come and support the A-League and support, and support all the boys and the girls, really, because, um, you know, after the World Cup, they, they did a great job. And, uh, yeah, we want to just improve the game and, and supporters will help that. Well, it starts this weekend, the Australia Cup final, Sydney FC versus Brisbane Raw. Steve Corica versus his old mate Ross Aloisi. It's going to be a, a great event and hopefully a, a big crowd uh, at an outstanding stadium. So we wish you all the best for Saturday night, mate, and, uh, and the upcoming uh, A-League season ahead. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Steve Corica, manager of Sydney FC. Okay, stick around. Martin Tyler, the voice of football still in this you know, country, around the world. But, of course, the voice synonymous with our podcast over the seven years it's been on air. We're going to chat to him about the fantastic weekend of Premier League football just gone. Hey, hey, Edge, the footy finals might be over in the other codes, but the Australia Cup is this weekend, so let's call it footy finals action still on, so you can stock up and save right now at Chemist Warehouse. Where else would you go before the Australia Cup final? Um, Rob, just on your way to Allianz Stadium, slop, you know, just stop into Chemist Warehouse and fill up all the bits and pieces for your, your home... Um, Medicine cabinet, yeah, that's, that's it. Yeah, medicine absolutely. Cabinet, <laughs> With big brand vitamins like Microgenics Vitamin D3, 1,000 international units, 200 capsules for just 12.99. Wagner Sleepwell, 100 capsules for 14.29. I've been taking those edge, and uh, they're helping me get a good night's sleep. Must have a look at that. Obviously, I, I spent a lot of time on the road. You have a medicine cabinet. I have a little medical kit in my bag, Rob. That's oh, we've heard about that medical kit. You talk about it often, and I'm always wondering what's in there. Do you have the no-dose awakeners? Because you, when you've got to stay awake sometimes, you need those. 100 tablets for $17.99. That's good Get value, $17.99 for 100 tablets of uh, high potent caffeine. Exactly. And Centrum Multivitamin for men. All women, 90 tablets, just $24.99. Everyone needs a multivitamin in their daily vitamin regime. Remember, in addition to visiting your local chemist warehouse store, you can order online, click and collect to save time, or choose fast delivery for same-day home delivery. T's and C's and charges may apply. Chemist Warehouse, great savings every day. Chemist Warehouse, why pay more? Box to box. For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. Great chat with Steve Corica there. Really looking forward to the Australia Cup final this coming weekend. But I'll tell you what I was looking forward to over the weekend. It was a blockbuster weekend of sport around the world. And uh, no less than in the English Premier League where 
most of the games were played on Saturday, which appeared to be to give a clearer run for the women's Super League on the Sunday. But when we woke up on Sunday morning, it was just a feast of catch-up football. Um, and to talk to us about it all is uh, our good friend uh, and much-loved voice of football around the world and Australia, especially Martin Tyler. How are you, Martin? Yeah, I'm good. Uh, I've not been uh, as good as I have been because uh, I had to have some summer surgery, summer hour time, and uh, has kept me off work for a little while. But I'm like an injured player. I'm trying to do my rehab and getting myself back to a position where um, I might be able to start broadcasting again quite soon. Uh, And even before talking uh, today is, is another step forward, and I'm, I'm hoping that um, I will get much more out of it than you will, to be honest with you. So it's, it's, it's nice to have a chat, I must say. Well, to be perfectly honest, Martin, I mean, you know, it's it's not you know sort of a fan fest here, but um, we, we we don't have your voice synonymous with the show for no good reason. And uh, uh, when the news came through that you were, you know, ending your your, your iconic tenure with, uh, with Sky News. Um, we were all disappointed, but it, it's great. We'll ask a couple of questions, I guess, towards the end about what uh, what you, you're doing now and where our um, our listeners can can hear you across the football world as uh, as you recuperate from your your, uh, your uh, treatment there. But uh, um, obviously, a lot of football to watch um, in in the meantime. So. Does your jaw drop uh, with the the ongoing story of Ange Postacoglu at Spurs, uh, uh, the way that the Red Sea continues to open up for him uh, as late as this weekend uh, against Liverpool? It's just been an incredible start to his uh, his um, tenure at, at Spurs. Yeah, and he's been really um, spot on with his comments about it all. Obviously, he is the flavour of the month. Um, and um, long may it continue for him. Um, he's um, he's humble with the success that he's had so far. Of course, he knows um, that winning a few games at the start of the season is, is very important, but it's not going to win you any trophies, and that's what Spurs fans are hoping to get out of his tenure, that um, Harry Kane goes, Ange comes in, and maybe spreading the workload amongst the rest of the players who possibly looked a little bit more for one man to win them games in the past. It's um, perhaps more of a collective now and um, Andy's very good at um, making the most of that and the players have obviously bought into his philosophy um, and it's it's been a flying start, but it's a start. And of course, he's been dramatic as well um, with these late wins and, um, you know, it's uh, it's a wonderful place to... Players trade, he's been saying how he never thought perhaps he would get to England's Premier League, but he's here and he's here in probably what is the best stadium in the world at the moment. Um, absolutely fantastic credit to um, the, the uh, ownership of Spurs, but of course the fans want more than a nice stadium. They want, um, they want trophies and, um, and this is, it's, um, it would be make him build a statue. <laughs> I think if if he won something in his first season, you know, it's, it's that important to the club. And um, so, good luck to him. One of the disappointments I haven't been able to get up and see him yet because um, I've not been working in the capacity that I worked for before. Otherwise, I would have probably have a bit more to tell you about the insight of how it's going. But just from one pace back and um, watching the game with a passion and wishing him well um, and remembering the few times where we've been on the same show in our SBS days where um, he's been a, a, a studio pundit and he's much, much more than that now. 
Absolutely, he is, and um, it's uh, uh, you know talk about the the sort of seas parting and the opportunities presenting um, this weekend just gone. Where uh, after you know the the start uh, to the season of, uh, of Pep Guardiola's side, uh, Erling Brat Harland's just scoring goals for fun. Then we see Harland have a little dip in form by his own heady standards, uh, and then City lose two in a row to Newcastle in the cup. The League Cup, and then uh, and then Wolves of all team uh, teams uh, are getting a result against them in the weekend. Just gone to really throw the cat amongst the pigeons. So so that teams like Spurs, Liverpool, Arsenal, and even Villa, who are, are doing incredible things right now, uh, have got that opportunity to say, you know what, this might just be a season where uh, where City aren't the all conquering team that they had been. Do you see this as an open season given the events of the past week and uh, the the, um, the form of some of those other sides I mentioned? I think one other factor that um, is also very relevant at the start of this season is the carryover from last season in terms of injuries and uh, the genuine concern from Certainly, the players um, and the management, and that, um, the World Cup and the timing of it, and you know, a pretty hectic summer when it shouldn't have been hectic with players being sent off to play in tournaments around the world. And this is not a criticism of things going out to Australia to to play in these tournaments. I want to reach out to the fans, and I understand that, but something's got to give at some point. And the thing that's giving at the moment is that the muscles of the many top players and I think well over a hundred and um, Premier League footballers weren't available for this last weekend because of because of injury and that can't carry on. Um so I think that may open it up a little bit and certainly some of the top clubs, um, you know, Manchester United stricken by injuries and um others as well. And there's um, there's an issue here that needs to be addressed. Um unfortunately, you know, it is the the golden goose, everybody wants a piece of it and that's a great credit to the sport itself and the way it's played by the top players, um, particularly in this country in the, the wonderful um, action-packed Premier League of which we've just had a fantastic example over the weekend of virtually every game giving a, a major, major story. So, um, uh, so yes, it, 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 we like it to be open. But, you know, City have been dominant and um, in England it's um, quite commonplace to hear criticism of, you know, Scotland having a two-team league, Bayern Munich dominating in Germany, PSG not getting much competition in France, and we pride ourselves on being uh, very democratic and everybody has a chance, the bottom team can always be the top team, and that that has happened, but the top team has been one team for a while now, and um, um, you know, Manchester City deserve a lot of credit for what they've done, and um, now everybody's going to and target them as they have done in the previous two or three years and the city have overcome those challenges whether they can do this time yeah it was a surprise that they lost to Wolves um, but um, you know that, that does emphasise the appeal of the Premier League but we are talking very early in the season we are talking about a one-off game and um, that's the joy and that's why I love these um, the marathons of the league you know that um, we end up with uh, um, with a long race and, and not, not a short one decided. Um, like the Golf Rider Cup over a fantastic weekend of sport. I don't know if you're into golf, but that's um, been very dominant here. But it came and went, and the Premier League doesn't do that. It stays and it entertains week in, week out. 
Martin, your answer there sort of segues nicely into one thing I wanted to ask you, maybe casting our eyes from the top of the table to the bottom of it. Let's be, we saw Luton getting their first win of the season um, against Everton, but one of the newly promoted sides. They've struggled for points. Burnley and Sheffield only have one point each in the opening weeks of the season. I mean, we look at the gap now that exists between the Premier League and the Championship and the success of the Premier League in monetizing itself and the money that flows to these clubs that we joke about, mid-table Premier League sides outbidding top Italian and Spanish and German sides for talents. But when you look at the gap that now exists in resourcing and talent and the like between the Premier League and the Championship and you see the struggles of these newly promoted sides... Are we reaching a point now where the success of the Premier League and how it's being able to separate itself from everybody else could eventually be reaching a point where it's detrimental to the footballing pyramid as a whole? No, I don't think so. Um, yeah, it's been tough for the clubs you mentioned. Um, um, but you think Nottingham Forest came up and stayed up. And look at Brentford and Brighton, and relatively new teams in the, in the Premier League history um, and doing more than just staying up. Um, no, there's plenty of resources for the smaller teams. I mean, Forest have signed, I don't know, I've lost count, over 40 players since they got promoted about 16 months ago. So, um, no, you, you've got to try and um, do it the best within the resources. Um, I think Sheffield United are probably a bit limited in that, um, in that respect because of the, um, the current structure of the club's ownership. Um, Burnley are probably looking at um, no easy games in the Premier League but they've had a really tough start playing all the top top sides and played some nice football and certainly look like they've got some of the um, uh, tools that could keep them building the structure to stay in the Premier League so no I, I, I don't think so I think um, I think we've had 51 different teams in the Premier League in, since 1992 which is um there's a fair turnaround, and I think only four or five have been in it all the time. So, you know, the democracy goes down our pyramid. We're very proud of it. goes down into semi-professional football in this country as well. There's no structure like it anywhere else in the world where you can – and how difficult it is. I mean, look at the class of 92 um, uh, with Salford. You know, tried to lift it from very lowly non-league football and with ambitions to get up to the championship, and they've got as far as League 2 – and they're a bit stuck there at the moment, as Gary Neville keeps reminding me. But, um, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a very solid structure through the different... Yeah, they're run by by different organisations. The EFL, of course, now has the uh, level two, three, and four. And then the National League has three divisions as well, some of the famous clubs. And you follow the Wrexham story as well, I'm sure. Notts County, where a founder member of the Football League, are now back by the National League and doing very well in League Two. So, no, the history is there, the sense of competition is there, and that's why there's never a dull moment. One of the sides that one wouldn't normally expect to see propping up the Premier League table, currently sitting in 15th at time of recording, is Chelsea. Obviously, not a lot going right yeah. there for, um, for the Blues in London. I mean, do you think this is a blip, or what's their... Because they've certainly spent plenty of money since that new ownership group come in talks about how when Roman Abramovich left they might have to get more frugal if anything it's been the reverse what do you think their poor form uh, is down to 
Well, they play tonight, so they might not be 15th by the time <laughs> this conversation finishes even. But, yeah, they, they, um, they've got their um, South West London derby against Fulham, which is a fixture they usually do well in, but they lost it last season. Um, yeah, it's um, it's a consequence, I guess, of global politics, really. I mean, if Abramovich hadn't been forced out by the actions of um, his uh, country, then um, we wouldn't we we might be having a very different conversation. Um, so it does reach beyond um, ownership. The ownership took the opportunity, the American ownership, to come in and and do it their way. Their way is not really working at the moment, but, you know, they are rookies, to use an American expression, and I'm sure they'll learn faster. Um, I can't believe they've been as successful in business um, as the last 14, 15 months have shown how they've been unsuccessful in a business that's new to them. And they're learning on their feet. They're learning in the spotlight of a very successful football club being at the wrong end of the table. Um, and yeah, it's fascinating because I actually live about a mile and a half from the Chelsea training ground and even in the village that's um, sort of between us. And the, um, the talk is all of what you've just asked, you know, why, how, and how can it be solved quickly? Um, some great brains are working on it. And all these young players have been thrown into a room together and um, we'll see, we'll see how it pans out. And, Chelsea have always had a fantastic reputation for um, uh, way back for bringing their own talent in. Now they're going to the young route again, but they're buying them in. And um, I just think it's just a matter of finding the right balance in the team. And they've surely got enough good players. They've got too many players. Um, and, and shuffling it around to get that best 11 um, is being a tricky process because they're having to do it against teams that are desperate to beat them, and a lot of them have beaten them. So, yes, it's, it's another part of this um, absolute um, uh, fantastic world that, that our football brings, and no one would have expected it, least of all the Americans who have, who have um, tried to do it their way. And, you know, I don't wish them any harm at all. It, it may work out. and Not everybody can win. And I think one thing American ownership, there's a lot of it in the Premier League, it's not a um, restricted league like the sports, like NFL, for example. Um, you know, you can't necessarily guarantee a place at the top table at all. And Chelsea are closer to looking at that um, disadvantage in the face than they would ever thought that it would be. But you do get relegated. Aston Villa got relegated when um, they've had American ownership. And it's, um, it's something that, that's part of our scene. And long may it continue, but uh, it's 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 the fight. Money doesn't buy you everything, and uh, it's been very tough for those who are, I think, bearing the brunt of it. They've got Pochettino's a very good manager, but he's still trying to get the pieces in the uh, place to finish the jigsaw, and it's, it's it's a pretty tricky problem at the moment. And Martin, maybe if I can switch gears for a little bit, you you told us you're recovering from surgery, and once again, we wish you. All the best, mate, and maybe you can give us an insight on what you're, what you're looking to do, get it back into once you're fully mended. But I did want to get your insight, and it's obviously you're a luminary of the commentary scene, the voice of football for so many. But the nature of, you know, something as a nascent foot, uh, commentator here in Australia and trying to learn my craft, you can see the evolution in commentary over the years, over the decades, but particularly recently with the likes of 
TikTok and Twitter and Instagram and all of a sudden it's almost feels like it's more about calling for the highlight package rather than the game itself. I was wondering, maybe you've had a chance to reflect recently. How have you seen the evolution of commentary recently and where do you think the art form is at the moment and where do you think it's going? Well, I think it's underappreciated. Um, uh, the skill that um, uh, all the all the commentators, whatever level, whether they're very experienced or very new, um, is a skill set to be learnt. Um, I always describe it as identifying the players properly, but particularly television commentators. Radio have a bit more slack in that. Um, but on television, there's no hiding place if you get a name wrong. Um, and then you have some you know, relevant information to impart, um, and you have some interpretation of the game because you have a, usually, you have a co-commentator sitting alongside you, and um, uh, that that evolves into a partnership. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not on social media. I know, you know, the flack flies about and didn't bother me because I knew I was trying to do an honest job, and I don't begrudge anybody an opinion. Um, uh, and and that's that's how we all engage as the as the football family, really. Yeah, lines I think do get crossed. Um, I would like to see a bit more investigation into that kind of. Um, um, I, I understand the, the awfulness of, of some of the abuse, racial abuses. Um, it, it's so unpalatable. It's it's, all, it's truly awful, and and that should be investigated. Um, but I think picking on broadcasters simply because they're the ones who've spoken the word, you know, um, is 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 a bit is a bit harsh as well. And it's up to the media organisations to defend their team, really. Um, and they do a pretty good job of it over here. I can't speak for around the world, but certainly um, I was never, I, I worked for Sky Sports for over 30 years. Uh, I know the social media phenomenon's probably the last seven or eight years of that, but I was never hung out to dry by my employers and and I was very grateful, although I often didn't know what, <laughs> what, what, what the subject was um, if they spoke out on my behalf. Um, I would advise all commentators not to, not to participate, but maybe, maybe I was wrong. Maybe, maybe engaging um, is is a, a way of softening the relationship between the um, the online person and, and the person sitting on the gantry. Um, but it is the way of the world. It's not just football. It's not just broadcasters. It's um, it's opened up a a whole new um, a whole new ability for anybody to reach out. On anything, I think as long as the the laws about printed words are, are, are obeyed and, and enforced, when um, these these um, online messages come through, I don't have a problem with it. And yeah, you've got to have a pretty thick skin in in the world that it is today, anyway. So um, you know, that, I wouldn't be one to say oh, we've got to change this or we've got to change that. It never changed the way I broadcast because I just did it honestly from my heart and I hope to be able to do it again. But um, um, it, uh, you do walk back into that particular envelope and it's not um, it's not necessarily a particularly pleasant thing. But, hey, you know, we're all grown up, aren't we? And um, uh, so sticks and stones and all that, um, words have never hurt me.
Well, well said. Well, they've certainly entertained us, your words, mate. And uh, if there's one uh, suggestion I would make is to uh, stick with your mantra and don't go anywhere near that cesspit of X or Twitter or what it's called right now. Uh, uh, it's best avoided um, for the the, uh, the the sake of um, of the, the little good that it gives. Before we let you go, Martin, you, you mentioned that you, you're planning to come back, you're recuperating uh, and uh, and your voice um, is, is getting stronger. Uh, where would we expect to hear from from you um, once um, you're fully mended? I don't, I don't really want to say too much on where um, because I've still got to uh, convince uh, myself and, and um, obviously the people that might potentially employ me. And that's that's the process is it's happening and um, uh, it's, it's just something that, um, it will be apparent that, it, uh, you know, as I say, I don't have social media to announce that I will be doing a game at some point. But I'd like to hopefully slip back in alongside some really top class, much younger broadcasters who are doing a wonderful job. And um, so, yeah, there the, the, the will be one or two opportunities, but um, I'm, um, I've, I've, I've had an enforced break. I wouldn't choose to have done it. But strangely, um, I think it's probably done me more good than harm. <laughs> and uh, and uh, you can, as I said, we've talked about, and really I've been giving you opinions based on not being at the games all the time. So it's nice to be able to watch it with a bit more independence, maybe. Um, and But um, if I'm good to go, if, if, um, if it's the right thing to do, I'm a, I'm a bit of a fatalist, really. Um, and, and destiny and all that. I, I do have some beliefs along those lines, and um, we'll see. We'll see. And it's um, as I say, um, it's very nice to talk to you guys and your audience. And I hope um, you know it's, it's a small step along along a trail, which um, will have to be decided sooner rather than later. Um, but listen, if it was a worst case scenario. I have absolutely no regrets. I've been the luckiest person alive. And um, I've hardly missed a game in 50 years. So it was my turn to, um, we're talking about injuries to the players, I guess, for, for those who've done a lot of commentating, there's a bit of a wear and tear as well. So, um, um, you know, I've, I've, I've absolutely no complaints, absolutely no regrets. But I still would like to, I think it sounds very selfish, but to give myself one more chance whether the audience want that, um, that's for them to judge. But uh, um, I'm not just going to um, sit down and say, well, that's it, without trying. So the trying goes on, and I'll keep you posted. Oh, good on you, Martin. Uh, if they've got a, even the uh, the remotest um, cerebral uh, understanding of what it takes to, to do this job and what the, the, the genuine football fans out there want, um, it's uh, that um, that we get the, to hear you go around um, a, a few more times, mate. So uh, keep on recovering, rest up, and, um, and we'll be watching the news um, and hopefully we, we hear some news. But but uh, whatever happens, uh, we, uh, we know we represent the, the vast majority of football fans around the world who've who've loved everything you've done over the, the years of your career 
and uh, and we're, mate, on this podcast and our listeners, we're, we're really grateful that you've taken the time and uh, we're probably taking a little bit time longer than we, we normally would uh, typically having a chat, but hey, mate, we're talking to you, Martin, so uh, I think we'll indulge ourselves. So uh, keep on getting better and um, we'll be we'll be in touch soon, but we'll be watching the news, hopefully, for some good news in, in the not too far distant future. Bless you, bless you for your kind words and, uh, you know, it's um, it, it's... You sit up there sometimes and, and again, you're talking to a microphone, got somebody next to you, you've got a producer in your ear, um, and you don't realise the, um, the impact, both, both good and bad, um, on a global basis. And to have um, had some recognition um, from uh, people like your good selves, is, uh, it's very special. And you know the numbers, so we'll talk again, eh? Absolutely. We sure will, man. Martin Tyler, uh, icon uh, of our great game, and um, and the man whose uh, whose silky voice has uh, described um, some of the great moments um, over all of our collective lifetimes, and uh, we look forward to hearing him again and uh, chatting to him again on the podcast. Okay, stick around. We're going to wrap it up with a brief World Cup corner next on Box to Box. Well, 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 everybody's going to buy Hoyt spices. Everyone's going to save a dollar or two. Everybody's going to buy Hoyt spices. Yeah. Do I say it every week, Edge? We love flavour-packed meals on this show, don't we? We just love meals generally, and the ones that are flavour-packed are generally a lot better than the ones that are not. Even so better. The Hoyts, the Hoyts aisle in your supermarket, whether it's Coles or Woolies mm. or the independent stores, is the place to go to make sure you get flavour-packed meals, Rob. It is. And I made a vegetarian dish, um, a meal up on the barbecue um, last night. My my niece is staying with us and she's a vegetarian and vegan. So I spiced up some cauliflower with some uh, uh, chili powder, garlic cumin, smoked paprika, cayenne pepper, a little bit of olive oil. I chucked that in the oven, little florets of cauliflower. I then barbecued some eggplant and uh, and olive oil, the four color peppercorn mix, Hoyt's rock salt, a little crushed garlic as well. And then I barbecued some corn and, uh, and some asparagus and I spiced those up as well. So it was a delicious meal, Edge. No meat whatsoever. Uh, all the flavors just bursting out thanks to our friends at Hoyt's. Oh, you're making my mouth water there, Rob. I did have a vegetarian uh, meal myself last night, Rob. There you go, see? I mean, we're healthy, uh, rippling uh, figures of good health, aren't we, Edge? I mean, if people could see <laughs> yeah, us now, they would say. not rippling figures of good health. We're just figures of good health. Well, we're not gibbering masses of uncertainty in that case. We're somewhere in between. All right, well, Hoyts, they are, as you know, you hear it every week, Coles, Woolworths, independent supermarkets. If you like flavouring your food, get a hold of your Hoyts. Fill those empties with Hoyts and spices, yeah. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box World Cup Corner. We did indulge ourselves just a little bit with the great Martin Tyler, but... uh, he, um, he is an icon of the game and um, and just listening to him talk about his own reflections on the game of the past or the games of the past weekend and his own career and uh, what he's experienced and what we're hopefully looking forward to uh, ahead um, was, uh, was a real treat. So we hope you enjoyed that. Okay, we're going to bring it home fairly succinctly, um, Edge and Joey. Um, it's about 10 days away. We talked about it at the top, the Australia... England match at Wembley and then at Brentford against the Kiwis. Uh, um, so 
first to you, Joey. Um, what are your expectations around these matches? We know we always big up the 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 the, the England rivalry uh, in any sport, but um, but they seem to sort of not pay too much attention when it comes to football with the recent World Cups. Anything to go by? Yeah, well, I'm expecting Graham Arnold to definitely get excited up, up for the games. Honestly, I'm just I'm incredibly keen to see who gets called up and what sort of mindset. Um, Arnie takes with this, given that it's the last window before World Cup qualification starts and then the Asian Cup. Do we see more experimental squads? Do we see more players getting opportunity? Does he call up A-League players, given that the season starts three days after the New Zealand game? Does he not call them up so they're not cooked for round one? A lot of intrigue. Yeah, a lot of intrigue. And I'll tell you what, there's a couple of names here that are, there's a little bit of pressure on Harry Suter, obviously, um, not playing a lot. We're watching his form. He obviously had a a good and bad game in Dallas. Um, Garan Quall hasn't been getting a lot of time. Jackson Irvine's injury. Um, Nathaniel Atkinson looks like he's done an injury and will be out for two months as well. There'll be a force change there. But on the flip side, there's a lot of players in great form that you're expecting to figure prominently, Joey, including Riley McGree. Um, I'm just wondering whether uh, the bolt. there's a couple of bolters, uh, one that we know very well, Massimo Luongo has been in excellent form, Joey. He may um, dial himself back into the, the squad selections. And I'm interested to see whether Callum Neuenhoff, who's been playing regularly at Hearts, whether he might get a get a, a first call up to, to a squad at least anyway. What do you think about all that, Joey? Well, I'm really intrigued to see what the midfield composition looks like. I, personally, I wouldn't be calling up Jackson Irvine. I wouldn't be risking him when you've got far more important games coming up. There's no sense. I know he returned for St. Pauli, but no sense in risking another injury in these games. I'm really interested to see um, Mas- I'd be really interested to see Masaluongo Denis Jonro partnership um, in the midfield. That would be looking really good. Another player potentially even coming in for a start against maybe New Zealand, if not England, Alex Robertson has begun to really put some good form together at Portsmouth at Pompey. He missed the last um, uh, window, obviously wasn't called up. And another player I've got my eye on, he hasn't been getting a lot of minutes um, as of late, but when you look at the striker position, a lot of the options are A-League men-based and the like is um, Moturay. Um, he was going to be in the Oli Roo squad in the last window. He had to pull out with injury. And with the potential for a mostly European-based squad to get called up, the the fact that Moturay has eligibility um, for a number of different countries, is this an opportunity for Graham Arnold to just call him into the squad? He doesn't even necessarily have to play, but it could be sort of a Nestoria and Kunda situation where he calls him up, he gets him into camp, he exposes him to the squad, and he just tries to see what he's got in Moturay because, you know, he's, he's 19 years old. There's a lot of striking talent coming through. Aloha Kuol, if he can regain form. Noah Botic, Max Caputo, a Melbourne City Moturay. There's a lot of number, actual proper number nines coming through, and it'd be great to get one of the more exciting prospects into an actual camp. Oh, I certainly agree. I mean, there is so much exciting talent coming through. Um, and one player who's an older head um, who left the A-League for a once-in-a-lifetime contract and you don't blame him at all, is Craig Goodwin, who's over in Saudi Arabia, who scored four goals in four games. So you'd expect to see him back in the fold as well. He recently he, he got married um, when the last camp was on, which is understandable why he didn't participate after such a great World Cup. So uh, he comes back into the 
figurine as well. What about Massimo Luongo, uh, Joey? I mean, the, the fans are calling for his selection. They think he was he might have been close last uh, squad, uh, the, the, the trip to Dallas. He might have been close there, but he sort of has to get in now, doesn't he? He's been in such good form. I mean, I'd be calling him up purely to send the message that if you're performing at a high standard, playing week in and week out, you'll be rewarded. It's about setting a precedent, if nothing else. And obviously, Masala Wongo has been a great what-if for Australian football for years. But with a combination of Irvine potentially being injured, A-League men players potentially not being called up, I think he would be a really, if nothing else, a veteran presence in that midfield. When Because when you look at the other options... Genro, O'Neill, Bacchus, Neuenhoff, Devlin. There's no real veteran there. So if nothing else, Luongo could serve as a, a veteran head in that midfield, or maybe he goes for somebody like a, a Jego or even a Kenny Dougal, even though Kenny Dougal really hasn't been playing much at Blackpool. Okay. Guys, um, we all cannot wait. I know you're going to be there, Edge, obviously. So uh, it's uh, a little over 10 days away before that big match at Wembley during the international break. We're all really looking forward to it. Hey, Joey, uh, mate, thanks for coming on. We love talking to you as a guest, but uh, uh, it was um, it was great when you gave us the thumbs up when we asked you if you'd, uh, you'd come on as the super sub, mate. And um, if... Super subs are meant to perform and win matches uh, uh, with their efforts, then, uh, mate, you are well and truly um, qualified to take that sobriquet. The Nestory Irin Kunda of Box to Box. <laughs> yes. Done, mate. Uh, thanks, mate. Well, we'll talk to you during the week. We're going to do the um, the, the <laughs> women's um, uh, uh, wrap, so we'll, we'll catch up again uh, during the course of the week, mate. So, Edge, thank you, my friend. Thank you, Roberto. Uh, always good to spend time uh, on the internet with you blokes. And uh, I hope everyone's enjoying Box to Box. And Rob, get that T-shirt off, please. My Collingwood T-shirt, if you tuned in late. Um, Adam Maloney, who um, is, uh, well, he's a supporter of all things, the world game and um, and various different shapes of football. So um, he is uh, not cutting me off. So uh, um, I will accept that as an insult that, um, that you like to deliver to me. But uh, I will say, even though it is a football program, Good old Collingwood forever. Well done, Magpies. Um, okay, guys, we're going to talk stoppage time soon. We're going to talk the women's A-leg competition. Really looking forward to that chat. But to our listeners, if you have a moment, please leave us a review wherever you listen to your favourite shows and make sure you subscribe to box to box Stoppage Time and Offside. Tweet us at box to box NTS formerly known as X on Twitter. Like us on Facebook and join us throughout the week as our podcasts drop and we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.